Welcome to the Disrupt Your Career podcast, brought to you by Claire Harbour and Antoine Tirard. We're passionate about helping everyone find fulfillment in their work life. We believe that big, messy, uncharted career changes are inevitable. And it's up to you to decide. Will you take control and disrupt? Or allow yourself to be disrupted? We wrote the book about it. And now we share here our conversations with other thinkers in this crucial area. Settle down and get ready to listen to this dose of wisdom. All right, so this time on the Disrupt Your Career podcast, we're welcoming Jeffrey Shaw. Jeffrey is a multimedia present advocate for and expert on the art and science of being self-employed. We're thrilled to have him on here as so many of our clients are in the throes of significant career transition and are toying with the idea of becoming self-employed, having had a successful corporate career, and some of them even take that step. What we're going to hear today from Jeffrey should give much more clarity and some excellent tips for anybody considering going in that direction. Jeffrey, welcome. Thank you, Claire. I love that you refer to it as the art and science of self-employment because that is what it is. <laughs> oh, it certainly is. It certainly is. Let's start with your career journey. You have a background of many, many years as an incredibly talented and successful portrait photographer. And now you're the self-professed nation's leading advocate for self-employed business owners. You coach, you consult, you have a blog, a book, a podcast, and multiple speaker engagements, including a pretty impressive history with TED. Why don't you share with us how this extraordinary career unfolded? Talk a bit about whether it was by design or how much serendipities played a role. And talk us through some of your key moments of pride, as well as the major challenges. I love the question about whether it's design or serendipity, and it's not an either or. I think the reality is, in my personal experience, as well as it's actually been easier to unpack my own career journey by looking at those that I coach, right? So I spend a great deal of my time coaching people that are transitioning from corporate life into self-employment. I always have, but even more so these days. And it's helped me reflect back on that journey of my own. And I believe it starts with an inkling. And it starts with an inkling that you want something. And in my case, I had a very successful, at that point, 25-year career as a portrait photographer for affluent families, top of my game. I had an eight-week waiting list um, supporting me, my family and I very nicely. Why would you want to change that, right? But there's this inkling for more. And I see that in corporate folks that are transitioning out of corporate as well. There's some inkling that they want something else. They want more freedom. They want more control over their lives. And as I say to my clients, I saw it true of myself. Like once that inkling enters in, it's really hard to turn it off. It's kind of like in a bad relationship when you see what you don't like, you can't unsee it. Once that inkling comes in, right? So first is an inkling. Then I do believe if you choose to take action on that inkling, then that's where the design part starts, right? So for me, it was, you know, as a portrait photographer, very successful. I had this inkling for more and I took up coach training, thinking this was just going to be something that would enhance my communication skills with my photography clients. Perhaps I would coach a few photographers on the side. So there was a design element. There was an intention. Then what happens, so you've got an inkling, then you, I think, get into motion. They start designing it, even if they're not taking it real serious. And then you get the serendipitous moments. And then you start getting all the signs that, hey, the universe likes the direction you're going in. That's when I think there becomes more validation. And so then you start designing more strategically. 
So for me, again, you know, sitting in a coach training program and thinking this is just going to be a side gig, everything in the universe seemed to conspire to tell me that this was really work I was meant to be doing. If you had asked me 15 years ago why I was on this planet, I would have said to be a portrait photographer. If you ask me today, those 25 years, I mean, it's 38 years in accumulation, but 25 years full-time as a photographer, now I look back and say that was the learning lab for what I know today how I can help other self-employed business owners today. So it's really a combination of, like I said, it's an inkling, design, serendipitous moments, and then more strategic design. So the past 15 years, I did, in fact, start coaching originally photographers as I was an active photographer. I started speaking at photography events. People in the venues of the events would come up to me and say, you know, everything you're talking about business has nothing to do with photography. It's bigger than that. And I was like, I think it is. So then I wrote my first book in 2018 called Lingo, which is really unpacking my entire strategy of how I went from a lower middle-class kid to becoming the premier photographer for affluent families. And I only did that by one method, which is what I teach in my book called Lingo. And that is just that I learned the lingo of affluent people that I knew nothing about at the time, but I took the time to understand what makes them tick. How can I communicate them with them in a way that they feel like I'm on the inside and that I thoroughly get them. And I found actually in doing that work that I actually understood them more than the family and surroundings of which I grew up in. I didn't understand the way my family ticked. I'm like, why aren't you all planning for the future? Why aren't you all responsible people? Why are you all struggling to pay your bills? <laughs> right? So I felt more aligned with this affluent clientele on values. I didn't know anything about the money value because I couldn't even have imagined how much money they had, but I felt so aligned with them. Um, so my book lingo is kind of, as I say, my coming out card to come be broader than the photography industry. And that set me in a course of, I would say, more broadly serving entrepreneurs. And then I kind of honed in in 2019 as I started writing my second book, which actually was going in a different direction. But it came so very clear to me that strip everything aside, the people I care most about in the world are self-employed business owners. And because that's always been my journey. I've been self-employed my entire life. I've actually never had a traditional job. I've never received a paycheck. And it just, something awoken in me that made me feel so protective of people that are overlooked. Part of that is because I did a lot of work around values. And my number one value is acceptance. And it really helped me tap into being an advocate for self-employed businesses, more than their coach, but also being the advocate because self-employed business owners are so easily dominated by big business, so easily overlooked. And yet I think self-employed business owners are vital, vital to our economy, vital to our sense of community, vital to the towns and cities that we live in. It awoken to me a specific, you know, like I said, a passion. And that's why I wrote my second book, The Self-Employed Life, and that came out in 2021. Fantastic. I'm curious to understand what drew you to photography initially. What drew me into it originally was shyness. I suffered from paralyzing shyness as a child. So it became a creative outlet for me that isolated me. You know, back in the day, back in the film day, we had dark rooms. I often say, like, I chose photography as a career because I could not have figured out a more reclusive career than being a photographer. Because as I went out into the world, there was a camera between me and back in the day, those were bigger cameras, right? So it was this literally a block between me and the world. And I felt like I was hiding. 
I was capturing something through the lens and then I would do darkroom work. So what drew me to it was somewhat by design that it was a career choice I could choose that allowed me to be the introvert that I am by nature, as well as there was a natural skill there and I couldn't deny it. I think as we often do, I almost tried to deny it, but every time I picked up this freaking camera, I won an award. Like it just, it was, there was a talent there that I couldn't deny all through high school. And then that's why I went on to photography school and in photography school, even more so it's like every time I turned, I was getting scholarships. I was getting nominated by the student body to be the student representative at graduation. I got best portfolio. It's like this talent was something that really did come natural to me. Fantastic. How beautiful that uh, the shyness and introversion that started you off turned you into the kind of person that is looking to shine the light on so many others, the overlooked. That's why I would say that's the ultimate irony, right? I've heard this from a lot of authors, like a lot of authors will initially become an author because it's a reclusive, a way for them to put something out in the world that stays somewhat reclusive. And next thing you know, they have a successful book and they're thrown on stages. And that's the ultimate irony of it, which is why I always say, like, I'm a trained introvert. And I got an inkling of this even as a 14-year-old kid selling eggs door-to-door because that was that was my first self-employment journey. I sold eggs door-to-door. I lived in the country, so we had a lot of eggs. So I would go door-to-door selling eggs. And it scared the living daylights out of me to knock on doors and meet strangers. And I kept asking myself, why do I keep putting myself through this? And I think we self-employed people often ask, like, why do we keep putting ourselves through this? And there was a calling, you could say, to do something bigger. But I think the biggest calling was I wanted to find something bigger in myself. And the reason we keep going is that what is gained is greater than the fear. There's no doubt I still have fear as I speak on stages and nervousness. And in a lot of things I do as a leader today, but the fact of the matter is the benefit of impact and changing people's lives far outweighs the fear. Seeing the difference that you make in somebody's life far outweighs any level of fear. And that's what keeps us going. So I always say I'm kind of a trained introvert. Like I don't mind. I actually love being in the world. I love being on stages, but I have to manage my emotions and myself a certain way in order to get out there again and do it. High-functioning introvert, resourcing yourself by rest and isolation, but gaining that energy out there. That's beautiful. So thinking about those very contrasting contexts that you've functioned in, if you think specifically about the contrast, the shift, all those kinds of things, what lessons would you say you've learned? One thing I've learned is that through all the transitions, there's more commonalities than differences. To have gone from a portrait photographer producing artwork that hangs on the wall to becoming a coach that transforms people's lives on the surface seems dramatically different. And I know if you get really into kind of a logical business sense, in one sense, it seems like you're selling something tangible as a photographer, but you're selling something intangible transformation as a coach. But the fact of the matter is, there's more, far more commonalities than there are differences, that it's actually all transformation. Even those photography clients, really, there was an element of transformation, emotional transformation that they not only experienced in the process, but as I always said, my goal was to stop a mom in her tracks as she's walking past a portrait I do someday. And she looks back and she recalls that moment in those ages of her kids. So I'm looking to create transformational moments in the future through the photographs. In sales, if you will, we're always just moving people. 
right? We'd move them emotionally in order to move them to decision-making. And typically in sales, we're looking for them to choose us, right? Choose us or choose our product. You know, photography had the added advantage of being such an emotional, I mean, you're showing a mom and dad photographs of their kids. It's not hard to move them emotionally. So I found sales and photography remarkably easy because I had this big tool of emotional selling. So then you become a coach and you realize the commonality is that you need to move people first emotionally. And then you have to decide what moves them, you know, what moves your clients. And I, something I've been talking about a lot lately is what has typically been used to move people. If you're in a transformative field, some type of coaching, it's been referred to as kind of pain marketing, you know, understanding the psychology of people that they need to see their pain before they seek the solution. And I've been saying for a couple of years, honestly, even before the pandemic, and now it's just a glaring example that people are not so much into looking at pain these days, right? Now the emotional transformation language is more about promise. Who can they become? What's the life they can have, right? So as you're talking about people going through career transition, I'm not going to focus on the pain of having a corporate job, the pain of a restrictive work schedule or having to be in an office. I focus more on how do you want to transform your life? How do you want to take control and design the life that you want, which I believe self-employment can do that. So there's far more commonalities, even though the diversity of my career has looked extreme. I just continually come back to the commonalities and also even within myself, the thread that seems to always be there. It seems like I've gone in many different directions as many of us have, but if you connect the dots, it kind of all makes sense. That does make perfect sense. Thank you. Let's think about very early career professionals who are looking to start out in their careers. Building on all the experience you have, especially having made the radical transformation that you did, what advice would you give a 20, 21-year-old kid who's coming out of university and is wondering what on earth to do with his or her life? What makes that challenging is that university is a great life experience. But if you look at statistically, so many people don't end up in fields for which they went to university for. And yet I'm not someone who's going to diss university because I think there's tremendous value in the life experience and there's tremendous value in the exploration, even if you end up not doing work in the degree for which you pursued. So I kind of on the fence about that. I know there can be a lot of criticism about university. Will it be relevant in the future? Uh, I think it needs to adapt and change just like everything else is. But, you know, for one, I would say my advice is to take the information you have at that point from the degree that you pursued uh, does not have to mean you have to go right down that path, but to be open to other options. Uh, you know, my son is actually an example of someone who was in he had a triple major and he had a very specific path. He was going to go down and a job offer came along that, allowed him to leverage those skill sets to a degree, but actually a very different venue. And, you know, I remember having a conversation with him. He's like, well, what do I do, dad? And I'm like, yeah, take the job. Like it was, but you know, the challenge for him was, but it wasn't what I went to school for. And it doesn't matter because this is an opportunity. And, you know, now we're 10 years later and he's killing it in his career, in his profession, right? Because he made that choice. So I would say any early career person is try not to box yourself in. Unfortunately, there are a lot of elements and people around us that might be trying to box you in, whether it's, you know, parental influence or society, but try not to box yourself in, grant yourself permission to look at the bigger picture. It's a different world than the advice you're probably hearing from most people. It's a different world from what they grew up in. And I think today it is 
one of my favorite phrases has become to follow what's unfolding. And we were talking earlier about my own career path. And I would say, as I spoke about the inkling, it's largely just follow what's unfolding. It's one of the challenges of goal setting. It's one of the challenges of having a plan in life is that you could be so focused on the goals and plan that you're ignoring what's unfolding right in front of you. And I think that in today's world, I would tell these young professionals, the best thing you can do for yourself is to follow what's unfolding. Like be observant of what's right at your feet. Be observant of what's changing in the society, what need there is in the marketplace, what needs society has. And it may not be the plan you set for, but follow what's unfolding because I think that's where the opportunity lies. Yeah, that's so very true. And of course, things unfold at an even greater greater speed than our parents or their teachers or whatever might have experienced. So it really is an incredibly important dynamic. Okay, let's talk about your second book, but the one most relevant to this podcast, The Self-Employed Life. What was your motivation to write it? And I heard you say that there was a bit of a pivot within the plan anyway. Tell us about the needs that you're trying to address with the book and tell us a little bit about the process for writing. We always love to share the pain of authorship. So do tell us. I actually started out writing a book in 2019. I kind of thought it was going to be a one-off book because, again, I was using it as my coming out card that the world needed to know I had a bigger thinker. Well, the process of writing that book, I just found so enjoyable and even more so getting the feedback and how it, it changed people's lives and actions they took in their business was so astonishing. I, I kind of in that moment decided to become a serial writer with a goal of putting out a book every three years. So that's the current plan. Every three years, I'll put out a book. So I knew there was going to be a book in 2021. And in order to do so, I started writing it in 2019. And I started writing the book that was advised to me by a couple of mentors that would make the best sense as a follow-up to lingo, that it would be kind of a deeper dive into a single aspect of the book. And so I started heading in that direction, but honestly, my heart just wasn't in it. It just felt very strategic. And I had no doubt it would actually be a huge seller. Honestly, I was like, this is a book that people really grab onto. It could be short, pithy and get to the point exactly what people like today, but my heart wasn't in it. I gave a keynote address at a convention that was kind of brave for me. It was much heavier on coaching than it was almost on the business side. And I got off the stage and I literally on the airplane was text messaging my editor and saying, I'm writing the wrong book. So I pivoted towards a book that would be, couldn't even describe it. It was like, there was something I wanted to say, but I didn't know who I was saying it for. And then I got clear, as I said earlier, about really caring about self-employed business owners. So the main objectives of the book, I would say there's two overriding. Now, within the book, of course, it is chock full of business and personal development strategies. I mean, because I, I always believe you have to change the person before you give them more business strategies. Otherwise... You're just another person giving people action steps that is what puts people on a hamster wheel, but without changing the person and the mindsets, they're just on the hamster wheel. They just keep running, but they're wondering why they're not breaking through. So philosophically, I I always deliver personal development in conjunction with business strategies because it's the personal development that makes it work. But the overriding concepts and solutions I wanted to offer, one is that we needed everything in one place. One of the problems of being self-employed, and we you know, here we are often the creative individuals becoming self-employed that are accused of lacking focus. Well, it's no wonder we lack focus because we live lives that we have to run all over the place to find the information. We have to go to conventions and we have to buy marketing online courses and website and social media. Like we're running all over the place. 
to get all the little bits of information that we need because our businesses as self-employed business owners are one big ecosystem. And we're running around trying to get all the pieces of that. So I was like, I wanted to write a book where I wanted people to refer to it as a guidebook. I wanted people to feel inclined to leave it on their desk or their bookshelf that they could go back to over and over again, because finally there was a resource where almost everything was in one place. What you need to think about to develop yourself personally and business strategies that worked. So that was one. The second, which was really the biggest challenge and continues to be, and that's why I say I feel like more of an advocate is getting self-employed people to ask for help. One of the things that stood out to me when I got clear that I wanted to write a book for self-employed business owners, I went to Amazon and searched keywords self-employed. There were maybe six books that came up and they all had to do with taxes. So in all the millions of books in Amazon, six were keyworded for self-employment and they were about taxes, how to save money when you're self-employed. And Nothing any self-employed person really cares about at the end of the day. Claire, here's what's really remarkable. I was 35 years into business at this point, and it's the first time I searched on Amazon for self-employed. You were a perfect <laughs> example of the exactly. child who wasn't making yep. good shoes. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I'm so vocal. That's why I refer to it as advocacy, because a big part of my work today is getting self-employed people to come together as a community. That's also why shortly after the book was out, I launched the Self-Employed Business Institute, right? Which is a five-month curriculum for self-employed business owners. That's as a result of putting the book out there and feeling like I want to create a whole community. I wanted to create an educational platform that self-employed people knew they could go to that like university because there is no university for self-employed business owners, <laughs> So those are the two main goals of even doing the work for self-employed to be a guidebook so that people feel like they have everything in one place, but also to change the modality of self-employed business owners that were in this alone, that we're having to figure it out all on our own because there's a massive community of us. And one of the things I have found is that while each of us are individuals, there are a lot of commonalities to being self-employed. Right? There are certain challenges that are inherent in being self-employed and benefits. And so, yeah, those are the two overriding. But again, within the book, there are it's chock full of specific strategies and action steps. I love the part in the introduction where you describe the paradox of self-employment as being wanting to control one's own destiny while finding oneself in uncontrollable circumstances. That certainly resonates strongly with myself and Antoine, and I'm sure it does with many of our listeners. I know you can't go into everything, but uh, there's some beautiful imagery that is referred to. There's one about Tarzan swinging from tree to tree and something you call hug marketing. If you could perhaps just give us a little glimpse of what those images refer to, that would be fantastic. Back to the inspiration of the book, it was a large part of what inspired the book was how often I've asked self, just out of curiosity, asking self-employed business owners, you know, hey, why'd you become self-employed? And everyone had the same answer. Like literally everyone has the same answer. It's some version of control. It's like, oh, I wanted to control my future or I want to control the hours I worked. And I just started having really having fun by looking at people saying, so how's that going for you? <laughs> and everybody laughs. They're like, yeah, not exactly like I pictured. And either way, like either it is more challenging to get the business off the ground than you expected. So it doesn't feel like control at all, or your business takes off and the hours you thought you were going to control are now out of your control. And I realized that 
it was a paradox in that it's a reality. And yet I think I had the best solution I had ever developed. And that is what I teach in the book, the self-employed ecosystem. It's my answer to the problem because we self-employed business owners, because it is a different type of business. Nobody's really taught us how it's an ecosystem, how integrated. I mean, we joke about there being a fine line or no line between our business lives and personal lives, but what does that really mean? You know, it's not that we don't have the ability to not think about work when we're home or vice versa. The way in which our personal lives and business lives are most integrated is that when you're self-employed, your level of success is relative to your level of personal development, right? Because there's such a strong integration between you as, as the business owner and your business, your business success is proportionate to your mindsets, your attitudes. Therefore, the only way to really grow your business is to develop yourself. I refer to it as capacity. The only way you can develop your, increase your business, increase how much business you do or the number of clients, the only way you can increase your business is you first have to increase your internal capacity as to what you think you deserve, what you think you're capable of, and what you think you can handle. Because until then, you're trying to fit something bigger in a limited sack, if you were to look at it that way. That's why I start with personal development. And the Tarzan reference you're referring to is one of the things that I challenge all my clients to do is in order to move forward, there has to be something you have to let go of. You know, there's the adage in business that what got you here won't get you to where you want to go. Oh, and again, as you mentioned earlier, change is more rapid. There's always a mindset, a way of thinking, a fundamental perspective you have on the world. There's always something that you need to let go of in order to move on. And I reference that like Tarzan, like Tarzan has to let go of one vine in order to make it to the next vine, right? There's something you have to let go of, uh, some way of thinking usually in order to move forward. Hug marketing is honestly my favorite thing in the concept in the book. And it's largely the impetus as to why I then launched the Self-Employed Business Institute. Because in the book, hug marketing is introduced as a concept and it's explained well, but I found people were looking for more strategic action steps and that we're able to, I'm able to teach that in a curriculum in a way that I can't teach in a book. So hug marketing Again, one of the commonalities that I have found amongst self-employed business owners is that they're settling for typical business ideas, but uncomfortable with them. And what I mean by that is they're settling with the idea of marketing, but there's a part of marketing that they don't like. There's a part of marketing that is creepy to them. They settle for the idea of making sales because we have to make sales. But fundamentally, often I would hear clients saying things like, they don't like sales. There's something creepy about it. And what's required there is for you to change how you're seeing those things. When I mentioned earlier about emotionally moving people, if you think about sales as having to convince people, then it will feel creepy to you. If you think about sales as emotionally moving people in order to move them into making a decision that you believe is best for them, you can actually be more aggressive because it's coming from a place of such sincerity that people see that you're showing up committed, not salesy. Okay. So hug marketing to me was my answer to something I've always hated, which was the idea of a marketing funnel. Now I understand the concept of a marketing funnel, taking people from one step to another, but what bothered me more than anything, the way it was always represented, it was always represented as a funnel. 
meaning. I look at the energetic feeling of a funnel and it's like, oh, isn't that lovely? It's wide at the top, open-hearted, open to many circumstances and people. And let's get really clever and get more and more narrow and then squeeze them through a small hole at the bottom. Like I got the principle, but like I said, as we self-employed people often battle, it's like, I get the idea and it freaks me out. I get the idea and I need customers, but isn't there a nicer way of looking at it? <laughs> so that's where I came up hug marketing, which is a series of concentric circles. And I started looking at it. It's like, well, the reality is how I want to bring people into my world is I recognize there are strangers out there that don't even know I exist. Then they become strangers that know I exist, but I don't know their names. I don't know they exist. I refer to them as lurkers, like people that are listening to your podcast, people that are reading your blogs. You don't know them by name, but there are people that have eyeballs on you. And I started looking at, well, what do I do then to turn those lurkers into people that are curious? Like, how do I get them to step in a little closer? And then how do I get them to take one more step into so that they're actually engaged with me? And then how do I get them to take another step further where they're actually, you know, a client? And But once they're a client, what I know from my photography business is that it shouldn't end there. The goal in business should not, particularly in a self-employed business because the relationship-based businesses, it shouldn't end with client acquisition like other businesses. That's why I refer to it as a hug marketing because the goal is a hug. The goal is to, after acquisition of client, that you develop such a solid relationship with that person that if you were to meet in person, you can't imagine not hugging them. And that is my experience, Claire, all the time. People that have been listening to my podcast, I put on social media that I'm going to be someplace in the world and people reach out and say, hey, I would love to meet you. Guaranteed, that's going to be a hug. Guaranteed. Right, Because there's somebody that you feel like you have this relationship with, and it has completely reframed for self-employed business owners how they feel about marketing. That instead of it being clever and cute and conniving, that it takes on a sense of personal responsibility of how do I, as the business owner, motivate people to take one step at a time closer to me emotionally to the point where they want to work with me, and then once they've worked with me, they want to hug me. And it has been such a feel-good marketing. And I, to me and to all the students of the Self-Employed Business Institute, it's like nirvana. It's like you finally have found a way of marketing yourself that is strategic, effective, and feels good. Beautiful. I certainly use a, a version of that in my business too. And it's very, very similar. It's the idea of serving them long before they've become actively in search of work with you. But yes, I love the notion of hug is extremely beautiful and extremely wide reaching. You've suggested in a recent blog post that success in business begins with one very simple but not necessarily easily attainable thing, the intersection of meaning and marketability. And you give some very resounding examples as to why this is true and important. Could you share a couple of those with us to inspire us? The intersection of meaning and marketability is, you know, and I, any of my coaching clients, I always let them know ahead of time. And certainly my students at the Business Institute, in fact, I brought it up on a call recently, they all laughed because it is so obvious. I always say, and that's why I said in the beginning, I loved your comparison of art and science because my brain switches from art and science really rapidly. So I can get as woo-woo as anyone, but my brain will also switch really quickly to, oh my gosh, that's fantastic. How is that marketable? <laughs> 
<laughs> so, and to me, the answer, one of the simple answers to success is the intersection between meaning and marketability. Like what's meaningful to you in such a way that you show up with passion and commitment to service, right? Because if it's not deeply meaningful to you, then you're going to likely come across as salesy. But if it's deeply meaningful to you, you're going to show up as I do, like advocacy and passion and energy. The problem is it also has to be marketable because you can think you have, you can be so passionate, energetic about what you think is the greatest thing in the world. But if it's not marketable, or if you haven't figured out who it's marketable for, or it's not marketable at that time, then it's not going to be successful. So the key to success is the intersection between meaning and marketability. I work with clients that they have the meaning part down right? The work I have to do with them typically is to turn their meaningful thing into something marketable. So one of the examples I'll offer to you is uh, one of the current students in the self-employed business institute. His name is Antoine. And Antoine is a very successful Broadway performer. He was in the play Hamilton. So just to give you an idea of you know his level of success on Broadway. And um, he got to a point in his life after so many years on Broadway that um, he was going to step back from regular performing and wanted to turn all that he knew into something. And that's kind of as far as he had, he's like that inkling, right? He had an inkling that his Broadway career to that extent of performance was complete and he wanted something more. And he had developed this brand name called soldier of love had deep meaning to him, but I had to figure out like, what's marketable about that? It's a beautiful imagery. It's a beautiful series of words. I say to a lot of my clients, <laughs> it's a beautiful series of words, but what does it mean? How is it marketable? Through our work together, ultimately, we're now building a platform for him around the idea of what his core message is. It is he wants to teach people how to love themselves on and off the stage. Right now, you can imagine how that ties into him as a Broadway performer, right? Because it is easy. It can be easy for us to love ourselves when everything in life is going well, when the spotlight is on us, when it feels like the heavens are shining on us. But can you also love yourself when you're off the stage? Can you love yourself in the darkest of moments? Especially now, and again, what makes this marketable is there are a lot of people feeling what I believe are kind of split lives. This life on social media that they're thriving on the likes and love that they get on social media, but are they really loving themselves and how much are they just learning to feed? It really goes to the core. And he had a unique position, Antoine, on Broadway because he was what's called a universal swing, which is not something a lot of people know about, but they're a vital, they're the backbone of Broadway, a universal swing. He actually knew in Hamilton, I believe he knew the parts of six roles. Okay, so if any one of those six roles were absent or unable to perform, he was able to step in. It is a demanding position. But there are also many, many nights where you're not called on stage. And can you love yourself when you're not called on stage, when you're sitting in the back, in the green room off stage? So that's what I mean about the intersection of meaning and marketability. He came with such deep passion for something that he was calling soldier of love. But we then had to figure out the meaning was there, but now how can we bring it down to something tangible? Can you go out into the world? And you can imagine, he can now take his message of learning to love yourself on and off the stage to individuals, to Broadway performers, as well as corporate leadership. 
right? It's a very solid corporate message as well. So the one of the terms I use a lot with meaning and marketability is it's a hireable, right? It's marketable if it's hireable. Is that platform hireable? And once we can address that, there are several avenues in which his message is hireable. Now he has a solid business model. Meeting and marketability is, like I said, it is the simplest formula for success. You have to have both. Brilliant. Now, let's talk a little bit about your convictions. You are of the opinion that the best way to get to know somebody is to understand what they value, what they support, and what they prioritize. Your ideas in this respect will have shone through in various aspects of the conversation today. And of course, any of our listeners can go and read your beautiful lists of them in more detail on your website where you have listed them explicitly. How would you recommend an individual start and go about creating and curating such lists? Yeah. And what you're referring to is my about page on my website, which if anybody wants to see exactly what this looks like, just go to my website is jeffreyshaw.com and go to the about page because I just got so clear, as you said, like to me, I could tell you all about myself, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, what I really want to tell you is what I value, what I prioritize, where my money goes, like what I contribute to, like I'm very open about it. Um, And I don't care about who it stirs up, honestly. You know, I'm very clear about my political stance, the things that I value, and I don't really care if it upsets you or stirs you up because Throughout my 40-year career, I've had many times to sell my soul for money, and I've never taken the option. <laughs> I, I won't do it. So if I put my soul out there, and if it affects my career in some negative form, that's okay with me because I never would have changed it anyway. There are plenty of ways we can sell our soul, and I'm just not willing to, so I don't mind putting my values out. As to how to get there, you know, a part of it, I think, is just life. I did work with someone. His name is Brant Mensoir, he wrote a book called Black Sheep, which is helps you define your five core black sheep values. Black sheep values being like a black sheep is themselves. The color of their wool is unchangeable, as are your five core values, your black sheep values. So I did work with him as a coach to help me uncover them. I also think it's just information. One of the reasons why in my coaching work, I focus on people, I like to say, of a certain age, because I don't want to say middle age, because middle age is really broad, Uh, but I don't, right? I I mean, I I look at it between like 35 and 75, there's your middle age. So it's tremendously broad nowadays because we don't slow down anytime soon, but I'm not working with typically, I'm not working with 20 year olds. I'm not working typically with startup businesses. I'm working with new businesses, but often people that are, have 10, 20 years of experience in life behind them or in career. And then I, I, they might be a brand new business, but the point is, is that they have information. And it's one of the reasons why I work with people of a certain age is that they have information from which we can see exponential growth by helping them tap into the information they know. It's harder to do it. I think when you're young, I mean, how do you determine your values when you haven't lived life more fully? So I would say the best way to do it is you kind of probably do need to work with somebody to ask you the right questions. One of the questions that Brant challenged me with and I don't think he'll mind me sharing this. That's in the book anyway, but that I found really helpful for me personally, he asked to think about the top five songs that inspire you and the top five movies, your top favorite, favorite movies. And then start, if those are your favorite songs and those are your favorite movies, start unpacking, like what's the underlying message of those movies? What's the underlying messages of those songs? Why do they inspire you? And you could start seeing your values show up. And I have to say that was probably the most useful tool for me because I realized all the songs that inspired me made me feel when I listened to them that 
I was fully accepted in the world. And I thought it was inspiring because I could just see myself on top of a mountain and like, I am here and I'm here to stay and you're going to like me whether you, do, you know, <laughs> whether you do or not, I'm here to stay. And, you know, so all the songs that I loved had this sense of acceptance, which is how I really began developing. Like that's acceptance to me is across the whole board. It's acceptance and the diversity of our world and our society. But it's also, I said, I feel a strong sense of acceptance with regards to self-employed business owners, that we are accepted in society, that we ourselves accept the power of calling ourselves self-employed, that this isn't something to hide from. I make that very clear in the book. It's like, this should be a badge of honor to say you're self-employed. So I would say to me, the easiest tool was to look at top movies, top songs, and kind of start asking yourself, why? Why are you drawn to that? What values are they starting to find? Are you pointing to yours within yourself? Beautiful. If you had a magic wand and you could change one thing about the world of work, what would it be? Oh, gosh. And boy, would I like a magic wand today. Oh, yeah. You know, acceptance. Employers. And I ironically ended up doing a lot of speaking in the HR world, which I never expected but after my book Lingo came out, which was specific to how to attract ideal customers, people started contacting me from HR and saying, you know, everything you're teaching would actually apply to how to recruit ideal uh, employees. So I started speaking at it, which I always found hysterical. And I always started my keynotes off by saying, like, isn't this ironic? The guy who's actually never had a traditional job is teaching you all how to recruit. You know, <laughs> there was a real irony to it, but the strategies did work. But I would also speak up and say, I don't understand why you all are just getting any butts and seats that you can. And then you get people, then you try to change them. You try to change who they are. You try to change the way they work. You try to change their circadian rhythms. You try to change their culture. You try to change their hair. You try to change their style. I'm like, you need to stop. <laughs> the reason I'm here teaching recruiting is do the work on the front end. You get clear on who your ideal employees are and only recruit them so that when they get in your door, they're already a part of your culture. They already feel like they belong. So if I had a magic wand, it would be to change this attitude in employment that they, your employees are somebody other than who you are and who your company is and who your culture is, that you should be recruiting people that you accept and you need to accept the changes in the world. Not everybody wants to go back into the office right now or may ever, because if they can be productive, if not more productive at home, Give them the freedom to be who they are. It's astonishing to me because research and observational life will show you that if you let people be who they are, you get more of who they are, right? So if you like who they are, if you believe in their work, give them the agency to be more of who they are, you'll get more from them. So my magic wand would be, you know, somebody asked me on a different podcast what I thought the future work looked like. And I said, in an ideal world, the future of traditional employment would look a lot more like self-employment. Give people autonomy and agency. I mean, we self-employed business owners get up every day and go at it and do our best work because we have a sense of autonomy and agency and passion, and it drives us. Why wouldn't an employer want to give their employees that same sense within themselves and then let it go. So that's my magic wand. And it happens to be so pertinent today because some companies are demanding their employees come back full time. And I'm like, and we wonder why there's a great resignation. 
Yes. I'm not going to go down that black hole because <laughs> I'll get stuck there for hours, but certainly exactly. it's a big topic with many of my coaching clients at the moment. I just want to add to that. I wrote an article for Entrepreneur Magazine recently titled something like, I think everybody has the great resignation wrong because I feel like everybody's focusing on the big quit. Everybody's focusing on the, what they're leaving part. I'm like, let's focus on what they're running towards. The reason there's a great resignation is not about what they're quitting. It's what they want to build in their future. It's what they're going towards and they're going towards a life and career by their own design. Very true. Even though they're often leaving toxic bosses as well, but that's the background. The impulse, however, is the one that goes towards something more fulfilling. Let's turn our attention to 18-year-old Jeffrey. If you could go back and have a word with him, what advice you, would you want to give him? An 18-year-old Jeffrey would have been taking a year off between high school, after high school, because I didn't even know what the next step was. I had zero direction. I didn't grow up in a family or a culture that talked about higher education. I had two older brothers that went straight into the workforce. Uh, in their own way. And uh, so 18 year old Jeffrey was um, floundering. What I would go back to tell him is to accept himself and be the bolder version of himself much sooner. I feel looking back, I mean, I didn't come out as a gay man until I was 44. I'd been married for 19 years, had had three kids, divorced. Five years later, I came out. So there's just a real slowing down in the process of my, so now I'm 58. And now I have this sense of, I call it healthy urgency because I don't imagine myself dying anytime soon, but you get to a point where you realize it's not endless either. You know, so what I would say eight to 18 year old Jeffrey is get bolder sooner, accept yourself for who you are, get bolder sooner because boy, would I like to have some of that time back now? The upside is, is that, like I said, working with from a healthy sense of urgency, I'm getting more done today, every day of my life than I probably would have if I was taking a slower pace. So I guess it all evens out and works out. Yeah, I would tell H&L Jeffrey to be bolder sooner. Wonderful. And with this healthy urgency, what is the most exciting thing on your plate for the rest of the year? Honestly, next year or next 10 years is the building of the Self-Employed Business Institute. This is my legacy. This is something that I am quote unquote, building to sell. And I say that because I'm not looking to sell it anytime soon. But when you embrace the idea that you're building something to sell, you take on a sense of legacy. Like this is bigger than I am. This is something I hope to leave the world because I really believe, particularly with the increase of self-employed people in the world, like they need education specific to our realities. And most of the students are formerly corporate executives, people that have been in the workforce and corporate world for 10, 15, 20 years leave to become coaches and consultants or start a bakery or all different types of sorts of businesses. And even with their MBAs and you know their vast experience, being self-employed is a whole different modality and there's no education. And who at 40, 45 years old wants to go back to university? And what are you going to go back to university for? A traditional education for a non-traditional business? So I started a non-traditional educational platform specifically for self-employed business owners. As you can tell, this is my passion. I could go on and on. Um, it's not only my most exciting project for 2022, but I envision it for the next 10 to 12 years from now that I'm actively involved in it. And then at some point, early 70s, I imagine myself kind of selling it at that point under careful transition because I expect it to go on for a very, very long time. 
Beautiful. Well, we will be looking forward to endless communication of the growth and expansion and richness of the institution. Jeffrey, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on today. I know our listeners are going to find many, many rich nuggets in what you've been sharing. It's a relatively new thing for us to have on here, people who actually talk about how to do whatever the next stage is. We often get more focused on, you know, thought leaders about career transition, not necessarily from an academic point of view, but not necessarily from an implementational point of view. So it's been an absolute breath of fresh air to get you in and really talking about the practical, but also the emotional and behavioral ways of making that shift. And I just want to thank you very firmly and kindly for having come in and shared so generously of your time. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. We hope you enjoyed hearing from this month's guest as much as we did. Do go and check out our work on disrupt-your-career.com and come back soon. Thank you.